Hello, and welcome to NICU Care with NIDCAP, a podcast designed to support parents of children in the NICU. My name is Jeff Bradbury, and I'll be your host for today's program. NIDCAP is short for the Newborn Individualized Developmental Care and Assessment Program. In each episode, we bring you doctors, patients, healthcare workers, and others to discuss the best practices to support the health and development of hospitalized newborns, infants, and their families, and those that care for them in the ICU settings and beyond. In today's episode, I am pleased to welcome Dr. Jim Helm, a PhD in early childhood special education from UNC and the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's not only been in the NICU for 35 years, but he's also been a NIDCAP trainer for over 30 years. If you have any questions about today's program or would like to be featured on a future episode, please visit our website, nidcap.org, for more information. And please remember to click the subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends and family members. And now, my conversation with Dr. Helm. My guest today is Dr. Jim Helm, a PhD in early childhood ed... I gotta read, right? (laughs) My guest today is Dr. Jim Helm, a PhD in early childhood special education from the University of North Carolina at Chapter Hill, where he's been there for 35 years, working both in the NICU and as a NIDCAP trainer. Dr. Helm, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having this conversation. It is so nice to have you here and, you know, somebody with your experience of working for 35 plus years in the NICU, I got to start off by asking, what is that like every single day, every single week, going in there and supporting parents, supporting children, and supporting the most fragile of people in that NICU? What is it like to be a NICU yeah. doctor? It, it's, a, um, it's a fascinating place. Um, there is so much happening that is critical to people's lives. Um, as we talked a little bit before, you know, babies are being born, families are being formed, first children or um, children are getting their siblings. And usually if they end up in the NICU, um, there's some major concern going on. Um, but there's so many people who care. There's the doctors, the nurses, the respiratory therapists, physical therapists, speech therapists. I mean, there's a huge array of people. I'm, I'm sure I've forgotten somebody, but there's a huge array of people and it's, it's just a fascinating place. And it's incredible to watch small, fragile children um, grow and progress and their families grow and progress with them. You know, there, there's hard times, there's sad times, but you know, that's, that's, part of life, but it's, but it's an incredible place to be. What, what got you interested in, in pediatrics or, you know, what, what got you interested in, in the NICU? I started off in, um, in, in psychology and got interested in helping um, young children. Then I got, went on for a master's in early childhood special ed, and I kept getting more and more interested in younger and younger children. And at UNC, I came down and got a doctorate in studying young children. Then I went over to Raleigh at Wake Med, where I got fortunate enough to be in their NICU and their um, follow-up program. Part of my journey has always been interested in the communication and the communication of infants and their parents. And for a long time, I worked with children 
who were non-vocal, but were trying to communicate. And if you think of it, you get down to babies and they can be very vocal, um, but they're communicating without words. And so the, uh, the NIDCAP approach was an incredibly good fit with me in the sense that um, we listen to the voice of the newborn. And what that means is it's their behavior. And so as I got the opportunity to be in the NICU, there's this opportunity to help people who knew the medical side of care really focus on what I sometimes call the other side, <laughs> the behavior, the development, the, uh, the life journey. You know, they're incredibly intense on the medical people, incredibly intense on the medical needs of, of um, children. And those children are part of our family. So how do we best support that whole family, parents and the infant? And part of the way is to listen to what the infant is trying to tell us. What is What are their behaviors? Their behaviors are telling us what they want and what they need. And, you know, uh, as part of my position, I was also for those 30 some years in the follow-up clinic. So that was incredibly rewarding as well because after they left the NICU, I could follow families and babies for, for years and watch their progress, support, um, and enjoy the, uh, the, the journey of um, those first couple years out of the hospital. You know, I'm curious here because when you think of NICU, neonatal intensive care units, some babies are brought there at full term because they need, uh, you know, a few more days, a few more, you know, a little bit more support. Um, in our case, uh, we had our, our 25 week triplets. They were there for the long haul. Yes. When you're saying, you know, the behaviors of the child, when do you start noticing those behaviors? Is it 30 weeks, 45, 40 weeks? You know, when do these things start to pop out? I'm starting to have flashbacks of, you know, my 25 weekers popping out. They were small, transparent, looked like frogs. When do you start <laughs> to actually, you know, put this stuff into practice? Um, immediately. I mean, uh, the the fetus in utero is reacting to sound and voices and movements. Uh, when they're born 25 weeks or 40 weeks, uh, they're still reacting and trying to process. The brain is forcing them to move along this developmental trajectory and they react to everything. And the younger the baby, the more unfiltered their reactions are. And so even 25 weekers, they, they shut down, they get excited, they get mad, they, they try to brace on things, they try to grab something to kind of get it together. So from the very beginning, um, every infant, no matter how young, is showing us what they're doing, how they're doing. I will say it, it's kind of, uh, they tell you what their status is, how well things are going. They tell you what they're trying to do and they therefore give you a suggestion of what you might do to support them. If you're a parent, how do you know what your 25, 30 week child is doing? And, and part of that is the support of, um, of um, staff. I mean, some of it's intuitive, like, what do you see? If somebody's waving their arms around frantically, you think, oh, they're upset. You got, you know, that's right. We all think the baby's upset. But what do they need when they're moving frantically? Well, they need somebody to help them slow down. 
in utero, they had, you know, a, a body that slowed them down. Um, outside, they need hands and they need gentle and they need to be able to recover. Um, and so it's a learned experience. I mean, everybody who meets a baby is meeting somebody new and you've got a lot of ideas and thoughts and uh, expectations. But the way parents learn is just by uh, paying attention, close attention um, and trusting kind of how they feel when they see uh, these movements. Um, Obviously when a parent first has a child, um, lots of thoughts, lots of emotions, yeah. then they're being told that their child needs to go into the NICU, um, lots of fears, lots of questions. How does this whole process start? How do these relationships with the workers and with yourself and your team, how do all these things get started, introduced? Um, what is that like? There are times when um, a pregnancy is um, uh, about to end and everybody thinks that the birth is going to happen. And th in those times, ideally, we meet with families prior to delivery. even, And so those relationships start. Um, and so if you were the parent, I would have been talking to you for a while. And then when you show up in the NICU, so do I. And all of a sudden you say, oh, familiar face. This is great, you know. And over time, the relationship with the staff, I mean, initially everybody's just worried about the health. Is my baby going to live? You know, what? what is the, uh, the health needs? What is the critical situation here and how's it going? And so one of the strongest ways the relationship begins is sharing information, you know, and, and so a good uh, nursing will share as much information as parents want and uh, in as much detail as they, they can to kind of bring them on as um, team members and, and supporting their baby's progress, you know, be it a, a critical illness of hopefully a short term or like you experienced a uh, extreme prematurity, which means that you're going to be there for months. You know, but we all recognize that the family is the constant in the baby's life. The family is what's going to bring that baby through the rest of their lives. And so our job is to help that connection be made early, strong, and in a good trajectory, as opposed to uh, just one of, uh, you know, fear and chaos and, and worry. Um, and so those relationships develop over time. Um, the, uh, you know, there's so many ways, so many different families have different um, reactions to what they go through. And some families are uh, immediately, give me everything. Other families go, oh my God, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't manage anything. Right. And so taking babies where they are, as far as what they need, we also take families we support families from where they are and try to help provide what they need when they need it, you know. To see this process. To it's see, a balancing act. It's got to be, right? I mean, you, you've got all these different things. What is it like to see this process happen? I know we're going to focus a little bit today on what happens after mm -hmm. you, after the discharge. But if we can, you know, if we can focus in here from your point of view, from your experiences here, what does that feel like? You, you you see a brand new kid, couple hours old. You're working with the family. You see them do the thing. You see them graduate from the. That's got to be rewarding to you and your staff. It is. It, it's a um, 
as I said at the onset, it's an incredible process, and it's kind of a uh, and a privilege to be in the, in involved in such a intimate and crucial, important part of anybody's life. And so, um, part of the process is. Um, often just being together and observing. And, and we talked about what we're trying to do is help the babies stay calm, relaxed, manage everything that comes their way in a, in a, um, in a controlled, calm way instead of getting upset and then having to recover. And so what can we do to help them? And so as we talk together, um, we parents say, well, if I do this, they like it. Well, let's do that. <laughs> um, or we help them understand that skin to skin care is an incredibly rewarding way to hold the hold one's baby. And it's really rewarding for the baby. The baby feels incredibly secure and comfortable and can manage a lot more when being held, especially skin to skin with their parents than they can when not being held. There's a lot of things that are different over the last couple of years. I, I want to talk a little yeah. bit about maybe the last 12 months. But before we get into that, obviously, you've had the you've had decades of experience now in, in this field. How has everything changed since since the beginning when you first started with all of this stuff? How you know what, what are some of the bigger changes that you've seen um, in your experiences here? Well, um There's so many realms on which change has occurred. Um, I mean, medically, of course, the, the technology, our understanding the, uh, of um, uh, the developmental processes changed incredibly. Um, the, the machinery we use, the medicine that is available to people is very different. And that, that has really transformed things incredibly, especially the lungs. The lungs are the last organ system to uh, uh, mature enough to be outside the uterine environment and, and just the incredible changes that happened. And that was maybe, you know, 20, 30 years ago, but um, amazing changes. On the um, side that I'm on, the developmental behavioral family side, um, initially families weren't really in the NICU. Um, they were they were allowed in for short periods of time. You know, don't touch the baby. They might you might upset him. Um, and now we're saying trying to figure out how can we keep the baby with the parents twenty four seven. You know, how can we support this unit, this family unit, as opposed to keep the parents separate and let them visit every so often. And so that that's been a major change. And I think. Um, People who've had preemies who are now 30 years old will talk about the, the, the nightmare, the horror of having to um, just stand there and watch and not being able to touch. And the nurseries where sometimes people had to be outside of, outside the looking in a window, you know, when their baby's right there. And now we know that parents being right there is critically important. Um, NICUs have changed. They used to just line all the babies up you know, bed, 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 bed. You've seen pictures of that. And yeah. you, you were part of it. But over the last 20 years, 10, you know, in an accelerated way, um, NICUs are now um, more and more moving toward individual rooms, family rooms, so yeah. that there's just one family or two families maybe in, in a room. 
so that they can be a family. They can be together and intimate and supportive um, from the beginning. Um, I, I would imagine that at some point, NICU was a room and now a NICU is an actual wing in a hospital. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, it used to be a you know barn style with just all the babies all lined up. Um, very, very different. And, um, you know, I, I, we are talking to, uh, some about follow-up and I think that that's led to a huge change in what we see in follow-up as well. You know, we, we used to see families who were incredibly anxious and not knowing what they were doing and how they were going to manage. And now we see families who are uh, comfortable, competent, really uh, uh, tuned in to the babies they've been with, as opposed to just watching through glass windows. Do you notice since the age of the internet that parents are coming in more prepared with questions, more prepared with answers, or do you find with the age of Google, parents are coming in with too much information and they think they know because they're reading it when really, you know, I remember being told very clearly, it's okay to do a Google search, but please don't Google search us because <laughs> we're dealing with your baby. Right. The Google search is dealing with general terminology. So like, where, where have you seen the biggest change when it comes to just, you know, information being available to people? Right. <clears throat> I think you're right in the, in the uh, message that you received in the sense that um, information you receive from uh, all the available sources uh, talk about in general generalities and we're t and in the hospital when you're working with a team they're talking about you they're talking about your infant we all know people who react differently to different medications you know five people get a cold you have five different um, set of symptoms and and a variety of treatment options it's the same thing in the NICU I think that um, first of all I think families are, are pretty overwhelmed and so the uh, search information may go right out of their minds to begin with. Um, in some ways, there have been a lot of benefits um, that people do come in more informed. They've got more resources. They've um, um, it's been it's been rare in my opinion where where it got in the way. You know, there have been a couple families who come in with some very uh, predetermined um, expectation. Um, but that's usually easily negotiated to the individual circumstances at hand. Um, and it, it, it is so complicated and there's so many moving parts and it's really hard for um, families to kind of set a course um, all by themselves. You know, sometimes they absolutely determine that they're going to uh, nurse their baby only and those, you know, those type of things. Um, and we honor as best we can, um, family wishes and, and their, um, their priorities. Um, and of course, you know, different hospitals, different teams are, uh, a little bit more, a little bit less, um, available, but I think everybody is trying to support what the family wants. Um, and so the internet that has not really been a, um, a major 
hindrance or obstacle in my, in my experience. Um, Talk to us a little bit about the last year, right? Obviously, we're looking at behavior. We're looking at babies. We're looking at very vulnerable newborns. You know, when you say the last year, you mean the the first year of their life, or? Well, let's talk a little bit about COVID and and, and oh, how this COVID, last year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about how COVID has affected the NICU, has affected the work that you can do. Obviously, we all want a six foot radius around each other, but you have to touch, you have to hold, you have to skin to, you know, all yeah. these different things. How, how has COVID uh, impacted the work you do, impacted the study, family relationships? Um, Talk it, to us there. It, it's, it's changed us some. I, I've um, not been in the NICU as much over the last year, partially because I'm slowly retiring. Um, so I haven't been there as much as um, I had been for the the 35 years before that. Um, but very quickly, many hospitals um, shut down and, and were keeping parents out and family members out of hospitals. But very quickly, the neonatologists around the world started to say, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is not a, a, um, uh, a limitation that that should be tolerated because families are not visiting their babies. They're part of the care and we can't deny babies the care that it's best for them. And so being with a parent is the best for the baby. And it's part of the treatment. We see it as part of how they grow, develop and, and heal and get better. Mm -hmm. And so depending on the space and different nurseries, they've had to limit only one parent and, you know, um, there have been all kinds of uh, efforts to try to uh, figure out, first of all, what COVID-19 was, how it, you know, spread. Um, but generally in the NICU, um, people really tried to uh, um, support um, parents being there. Extended family, not so much, um, and that's that's kind of where the lines were drawn. That the extended family was not as um, able to to come into NICUs. Um, so the, the, I think the the NICU tried to manage um, in the best way to support families with their babies, as opposed to. Um, a quick stoppage of all all outsiders coming in the hospital. That, that's interesting, right? Because I, I know when you're talking about that and when you're describing it, you know, on, only one parent, one or this or that, in my head, I'm still going, but yeah, but I had three kids. Three, right, right. How, how do you do all of this stuff? How do you make sure? How do you, you know, everyone's in the medical profession, but as a parent, still strangers, still people, still you know, you never know germs are passing yep. through all these different things, but it is interesting to hear the stories. It is interesting to see um, how, you know, we're all trying to protect everybody. One of the things that we mentioned a little earlier was this concept of graduating from the NICU. Now, um, to my knowledge, even though you might be ready to take your child or children home with you, NIDCAP doesn't stop there, does it? Uh, no, I mean, I think part of the NICAP approach is really a, a um, 
a frame of mind, a way of seeing and understanding infant behavior and supporting that along the um, along a lifetime. I mean, we in the NIDCAP world, we often talk about, you know, NIDCAP's uh, uh, a different way to see people at any age. I mean, uh, a lot of people have used it with uh, end of life uh, observations around um, uh, um, grandparents and great grandparents and things like that. There's a kind of a, a, a sensitivity to the behavioral uh, indicators, the behavioral signals that are, are being displayed. And they, as I said, they tell us the status and they sort of let us know what's needed. And so the same thing with infants, when they go home, what we try to do is help families um, trust themselves. Because when most families go home, one of their big fears is, uh, how am I going to do what a whole team of highly trained, highly experienced people have been doing? Now it's up to me? How do I do that? And so what we found is that when families are with their infants for longer periods of time, they know the baby and they trust themselves much better and they're much comfortable, much more comfortable in um, being confident and competent. In support in supporting their their baby. What's what's the underlying fear here, right? Because I mean, it whether your child is in the NICU or whether your child's healthy and you're discharged the next day or whenever, yeah. you know, we all have those fears of, oh my goodness, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna be alone and this thing is gonna be here right. and it's gonna make a noise and what do I what what do you think people are most worried about? How what, you know? What are some of the most important questions that you try to answer or try to comfort on? I think, uh, to help parents. I think one of the biggest things uh, people, particularly coming out of the NICU, fear is um, how am I going to know if something's going wrong? You know, how do I know if the, my baby's in in trouble? And so they're the that's one of the underlying fears because. They don't have a whole medical team they can call. However, we often remind people that you can call the hospital and the nursery, and you know, 24 hours a day, somebody's awake. They better be awake. You know, they're they're. And if you call where I work, if you call back in the nursery, people know who you were. Said, "Oh, Jeff, yeah, how are you? What's going on? What can I?" And so, I mean, you're connected with people who, first of all, are awake. Second of all, know what to. Uh, do in the middle of the night to kind of help you talk you through problem solving if, if that's a problem. But I think that fear is um, what I do if something goes wrong or how will I know if something is wrong is, is the big fear that um, works in, behind, in the back of people's minds. So how do you work with that? Do you, do you give well, par partly a flow chart? You give a, <laughs> what's what's the education before discharge? Well, part of it is um, over time. You know, um, everybody's helping the family see the baby's progress. Initially, alarms might be sounding all the time. There might be you know short pauses in breathing or uh, a situation that required um, professional intervention, and parents start to recognize those signals as um, happening less and less and less. And so usually by the time somebody goes home, first of all, 
infants aren't having those um, critical incidents. Uh, second of all, the family's comfortable with the baby. Third, they know they can call somebody. And truly, babies aren't sent home until people feel that they can manage well in the outside world. So trying to uh, instill that confidence is part of what I think every NICU staff tries to do um, and celebrate the uh, achievement of being able to go home. When, if a parent is going to call and say, I need help with or I want to learn, and they're listening to this podcast here, where are some great resources that we can uh, share with them? And maybe we can have them linked in our show notes docs on the website. Um, that's a good question. There's a, there's a um, I'm not the uh, best person to recite a whole bunch of different resources. And that's where the internet does come in. And that's where also the... Um, early intervention programs come in. That, um, in, the, in the U.S. at least, um, early intervention is uh, national. I mean, every state in the country has early intervention programs. The criteria for entrance may, does vary state by state. But even if you're not enrolled in a program, there are uh, uh, family support um, groups there's um, information from the early intervention people on local resources. Um, and I suggest when people can, they um, get involved with a, some sort of follow-up clinic, a developmental uh, follow-up clinic so that they get checked by ideally the people who uh, knew them in the NICU um, and can watch progress and help answer questions. I, I highly recommend that. You know, we, we got our kids as soon as they were home into the early intervention program. I remember the team of people coming out, asking a million questions, being our advocate, working with us um, to, to make sure that they had the right help, support, therapists. And, and, and that, even though we're not doing that program, you can see that work still continues now seven years later. It's really important to be building those uh you know, those relationships with, you know, with the medical professionals, with, with therapists, et cetera, as you go through here. I mean, and having those support options is invaluable it for is. families. And when you ask about uh, resources, mm -hmm. partly I always get a little bit um, overwhelmed. I'm so used to uh, supporting an individual family. And so, you know, is the question around sleep or is it around feeding or is it around uh, motor activity or is it around early language? And so sometimes those those resources vary as to um, where you should go looking for them, depending upon the, the nature of the um, specific questions. You know, I, I want to ask you uh, some personal questions here, like, you know, the differences between working with babies and families in the NICU versus out. I would imagine, obviously, one of the major differences between in the NICU and out is parents just have more experience now. They know Absolutely. their child are working here, but you are talking a sterile environment versus a home environment. So I can see one's easier, but at the same time, harder. So talk to us about that. About like, what do you do? Same approach, different approach. Talk to us about how that whole thing works when you're know, in hospital, out of hospital? Well, out of, as you, as babies go home and we're, and we're supporting families out of the hospital, I really like it in the sense that it, um, 
then the family is in their natural con um, context. And the, um, um, so you're getting a, um, a, a, a wide variability, but you're, you're getting the natural situation. The parents are in, in control, in charge. It's their lives that we're supporting. Um, whereas in the NICU, it's governed by, you know, a number of hospital rules, even if we have family care um, rooms where the family can be with their baby. So when you, and I've done both uh, home-based programs and clinic-based programs. And when you go to somebody's home, you just, you can see and be where the infant is as opposed to at a clinic when they have to pack them up, put them in a car seat, drive them, get out of the, you know, through the parking lot, and it's time to eat, it's time to sleep, it's all those type of things. When you're in a home, you're entering the natural flow of the day. And so that makes it a much more natural, much more um, easy going um, time. You know, when you come to the clinic, there's usually an agenda. Um, and, that, and that changes the, uh, the relationship and, and what's going on. I mean, obviously, as a provider, you know, we have some agenda to um, evaluate how everybody's doing. But um, the most important agenda is to check in with the family as to how they're doing, what concerns they're having, what questions, what are they happy about, what are they worried about. Um, and so it's a for fun long, negotiation. <laughs> for how long after uh, discharge happens and the child is home, how long do you follow the family or work with the family and and – and you know, continue the process here. Our our follow-up clinic was about for two years. I mean, there's some short clinics that are um, you know six or eight months, and then they move into uh, regular pediatrics. We did um, for two years, and how often we would see children was dependent upon the visit. You know, if we need to see them back soon, we would. If we if we oh let's wait six months, we would. There are a lot of, there's a lot of models out there. There's some clinics that will see children every three months for, you know, a year and then um, six months and then, you know, a year. Other clinics will say, okay, we're going to see you in six months and 12 months, you know, so it varies considerably. Um, um, are those usually home visits or is that bring child in to a, you, an office? Most of the follow-up clinics are bringing children to the office. And is that what does that look like right now? Is that uh, Zoom hospital right now, or are, are you still asking parents to bring children into a hospital or a, an office or something during at, the time of COVID? At the clinic uh, um, that I'm affiliated with, um, uh, infants are coming in. If they needed a well baby check, um, that that's different. But if they're doing a developmental follow up, um, they were they're still coming in. And so then they have a special clinic only for them, you know, so they're not going through general hospital uh, um, open areas. They don't have to go to a large waiting room and then go off to uh, the specialty clinic. They come straight to the clinic. The um, scheduling is such that there are not many people, <laughs> you know, rarely anybody in the waiting room. They kind of walk in there and register and they're in. Um, we're talking today to Dr. Jim Helm and uh, all about doing NIDCAP 
outside of the NICU and following families. And Jim, before we wrap up here, what do you see as the future of all of this? We talked about the fact that you've been working with these precious people for the last 30 plus years, and now you're doing it in a completely different angle with COVID. Where do you see the next couple of years as we come out of the pandemic and beyond given technology, family behavior, you know, how the world is working these days? Well, my hope is that um, there's a, a relatively smooth um, continuation of where we've been heading. And I think the field has been increasingly, increasingly directed toward supporting the family unit. And I think as we mentioned that, you know, single rooms are being developed and families are being able to stay and, and live with their babies during the time they're in the NICU. So I, I hope that continues and accelerates. I mean, there's hospitals all over the country, all over the world where that isn't happening as um, much as we would like. But I also hope that there's a ongoing increase of uh, recognition and support of the um, developmental side of care. Of course, that's where I come from. But what we're learning is that when we do support infants and families from the developmental perspective, it not only helps their medical course, but it also um, helps their long-term developmental course in the sense that it supports um, less stressful and therefore better um, brain development and, and ability of, of infants to kind of jump into life as opposed to dealing with the residual of being in intensive care for a long time. Um, so I hope the future has a nice trajectory of continuing that partnership between um, the uh, behavioral developmental psychological side of care with, with the medical community side of care. So more integration and ongoing um, um, trajectory in that way. You know, you, you have me thinking a lot about the last seven years. You have me thinking about the three years where I was working, uh, trying to get one of my kids out of a pediatric NICU type of facility. And of course the other two were in the NICU for four months. If you had to give past me seven years ago, one piece of advice, right? I have kids, I'm in the NICU for the first time. I'm scared, I'm nervous. I'm trying to take care of the wife, the kids, all this stuff. What's the one piece of advice that you would have for somebody in that situation to either help ease their mind, help get them into a, a, a you know, a state of being to, uh, stay strong. What, what, what's that big piece of advice that you would give to somebody? I, I think as hard as it might be, the goal would be to help a parent, you in this situation, to try as much as possible to be present when you're there to be present with um, your infant in, a, in an attentive way that looks at how marvelous this, this baby is, what struggles 
they may be going through and how you can be supportive. Worrying about insurance or where you parked your car is not going to um, help you um, at that moment. And it's hard to let those things go, but I would advise people to try as best they can to be present when they're with their babies and then manage the rest of life when they're out and about. I honestly believe if I went back seven plus years, I honestly think that's the advice that they gave me back then at that point. <laughs> Forget the world, be here with her, with them, and enjoy every minute and just be dad. Right. And, and I, I, that I, you know, you think about that a lot, especially as the kids are growing up and you, you, you think about that, all these different experiences that they're having. But I think that's the best advice anybody can give anybody is wherever you are, just be present. I love that. Well, Jim, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all the, all the support for, you know, families over the last 30 plus years. And I know you said that you're looking forward to a retirement in the next little bit here. And I'll, you know, I'll say congratulations to that. And, and, and uh, you know, if anybody has any questions or wants to get a hold of you, is there a, is there a location, a website, a, a social media, is there anything like that that somebody can reach out and say, Hey, Dr. Helm, I have a question for you. Um, they can probably contact me through the uh, uh, NIDCAP organization, NIDCAP.org, and just um, write and say they had a, a question or a comment, and uh, it would get to me, <laughs> and I will answer those. And we will, of course, have that link in our show notes going yeah. over to uh, the NIDCAP website and making sure that everybody is there. The amazing Dr. Jim Helm, thank you so much for your time, and uh, thanks for being a guest on our show tonight. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you. And one more time, I want to say thank you to Dr. Helm for joining us on today's episode. And we'd like to thank you for listening and for your ongoing collaboration in providing the best care to infants and their families. Please tune in for future episodes, and don't forget to hit the subscribe button and share this podcast with your friends and family. For more information, please visit nidcap.org. That's N-I-D-C-A-P.org. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at NIDCAP and on Instagram. Until next time, farewell from NIDCAP, improving the future for newborns and their families. <laughs>